Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Well, welcome back, fellow Awareness Explorers. Great to have you. As uh, I often say, I'm thrilled that we have a guest that I'm a big fan of, Scott Killaby. But before I introduce Scott, uh, let me say hi to Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Jonathan. I'm also really excited to have Scott join us today. You know, between you and I, we have read several of Scott's books, and I've used his inquiries for a while. And I really love his work. So let's do a little bio about Scott and then get right into the practical methods and ideas that Scott has been so good at at presenting. So Scott Killaby is a noted author, sought-after speaker, and passionate expert on the subject of mindfulness and authentic spiritual awakening. He's the author of seven books on the subject, and he is a California registered addiction specialist, as well as a licensed attorney, which I didn't know. He is the co-developer of a new model of addiction recovery that is based on mindfulness and inquiry, and he is the founder of two mindfulness inquiry trainings, one called Living Killaby and one called Natural Rest Advanced Mindfulness Training, which focuses on the new and latest developments in Scott's work. He has a website, Killaby, K-I-L-O-B-Y.com where you can get a lot of great free stuff, which I really appreciate, Scott. Uh, Really helpful, really useful. And welcome to Awareness Explorers. Well, thanks for having me. I just want to correct something. The two mindfulness training programs are called, the first one was Living Inquiries, and the new one is Killaby Inquiries. Ah. So that's the right, what they're actually called. Okay, great. So you've been at this for a lot of years, and you have really developed a lot of very powerful, simple methods, which is largely what we like to do at Awareness Explorers is, you know, what's the cutting edge of helping people out of the thought-based muck we're in and into awakening? Now, I'm wondering how you you got into this. The inquiry side of it or just the non-dual piece of it? Uh, either one. Well, I think the non-dual came from just being, well, I don't know, where does it come, where does that desire for freedom come from? But I think it had something to do with two things, being addicted for so long and then getting off of drugs and alcohol and recognizing that really wasn't the issue and then seeking something outside of myself. And the enlightenment search just took right over from there is, is a simple way of saying it. And then being an attorney is that I, I think I feel like in this body and mind, I exhausted all the... The, the dualistic mind, because I was trained to sort of argue all the different points, but I, I was still suffering, you know, even with a mind that was very analytical. So I was just really ripe for the message of non-duality that basically said, the answer is not in the future or your mind. <laughs> that hit both of those things, because I knew the answer wasn't in the future from the seeking of, uh, through diction. And I also knew the answer wasn't in the mind because of my attorney conditioning. So I just heard that, and I really heard it deeply and started to those those practices resonated with me. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the central uh, practices that, that you talk about uh, is the unfindable inquiry. Of course, you have a lot of different inquiries, all of which are great, but uh, one of your books is the unfindable inquiry. And I was wondering if you might talk a little bit about that. Uh, but before, I just have a question about it, because you know, you know of the, of course, and our listeners are familiar with the ancient practice known as a neti neti, which we look at every way we could possibly define ourselves, and we respond, not this. So how's the unfinable inquiry similar to neti neti, and how's it different? That's a good question. I think it's similar in the sense that it's neti neti. We're pulling up things and just letting them be there and seeing that they're not me. But the difference is it's more embodied, I think, because it really takes into account like following and trusting the body, the, the deep somatic sensations and emotions that, we're, that really hook us into thoughts. So when we're doing that kind of thing, we're really checking into the body because that's where we find out what we really believe. And then by going into the body, we can pull up some of the unconscious stuff in the body that doesn't just show up in netty netty looking. And so like kind of questions that go into the somatic and pull up things like, oh, I didn't know I believed that, you know, because it was hidden. And so it's just maybe a little bit more embodied. And then the other thing is not to say that netty netty can't be embodied, you know, but it, sometimes it is and it's kind of heady, you know. Um, and the other thing is, I don't know if this is easy to explain, is with a netty netty, it's like, let me say, who am I? I don't really know what my starting point is. Like, I don't, I never suffered by going around the earth and saying I'm a separate self, even though that was the basis of it. It wasn't in my consciousness to say that's the reason that I'm suffering. So that's not the thing I wanted to go look for because it was felt almost too abstract. But if I say I'm not good enough, I can feel that. And so that self, even though there really isn't a self, that's the one we go after, the one that has the hook, the emotional hook. Um, if we go looking for that, so we, we have more of a target and unfindability instead of just, a, you know, where's the self? We're looking for a particular targeted. And the way this was explained to me from Ken Wilber is like, there, there, there aren't any, there's no leaf in the world. There's a maple leaf. There's an oak, this kind of leaf, but there's no leaf. And he's like, it's kind of like that with the self. There's a self that believes this or believes that. But the self is such a general construct, self that I felt like I wanted to bring it more into human experience. Like, what are you saying that self is exactly before we start looking for it? Let's see what you feel and think it is before we start looking. So that's a little bit different than the netty netty. Right. Mm -hmm. And it also sounds like uh, you bring into it one of your main concepts, which is the, the core deficiency and as, a, as something to look for to see if it's you. Right. Yeah, core deficiency, like uh, people have different words for it, but the deep sense of this, there's something wrong with me. Just, you know, I'm fundamentally flawed in some really deep way. That's what we call core deficiency. And that's often what we're looking for because that's what people really think and feel about themselves is like, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. You know, um, everything you said just made sense, but I'm thinking of people who are uh, not familiar with your work that there's several elements to it, which I found unique. One was you kind of made reference to the specificity of how you look at certain things. And I'm wondering if you could do a, a example of the types of questions you might ask by actually guiding me through something. I actually had a, a very a somewhat challenging week in that I was feeling 
what I would call sad a certain amount of the time this week, a lot of the time this week. And um, there was something that triggered it. And I was kind of going into the sensations of it. And I'm wondering if, if, you know, if I was going to be doing work with you, what would you do to make it so that I'm not so, not so solidly in I'm a sad person or I'm, I'm having a hard time and more into the presence, which is uh, our actual reality? Well, that's right. Specificity. So can I take you through a little bit of it just to show Please, you? please. Yeah. So just close your eyes for a moment. And, mm-hmm. you know, our sadness or upset doesn't happen in a vacuum. So can you pull up the, if you can find that event or person that is connected to it? Usually it's, again, it's in the world of separation. So there's usually something or someone that happened or something. Can you find that connection with the sadness? Yes, yes. Okay. And you don't have to say what that is. But now that you've identified it from awareness, looking at that object, which is actually you know, words, pictures, feeling, and sensation. There's no real object there first, but, okay, but just starting with the sense that there's this object or person out there, what, what deficiency story or identity pops up for you if you feel that sadness and just kind of answer that question? Who am I taking myself to be in this relationship? Something like, uh, I may not be enough for them or something like that. Okay, there it is. Like, there's the specificity. I, it's not just I, it's I'm not enough. And it, that those words, you can feel those with the sadness connected to it? Yes, I can. Right. So let's just start simply like looking at the words, I'm not enough. Whether you hear them or see them from awareness, just letting them be there. Really, obviously, awareness though. And of course, there's just this element of do nothing with it. Just let it be there. Mm-hmm. Staying with that for a moment. Is that, are those words you, the one who's the actual one who's not good enough? And you, you want to be sure to check into the body. So if, if there's a feeling connected to it, it's okay to say yes, instead of just, oh, that's just a thought, you know, from the mind. Do you feel that connection with that, where you can say yes to that? Those words are me, even if you know better? Yeah, I can. That, that triggers a certain feeling or sensations that I don't like. Right. So then can you stay with just the words a little bit longer? There's a sense that those are you. So, so that we're not bypassing that. Just stay with those words. It's awareness looking at those words. Just rest there with those. And let's just see what happens first with the words. Do they stay around forever? Do they go? Does something else come up? Just let, be curious. They kind of uh, uh, come and go like a billboard that I see and then not see or, or sounds of the thoughts that come and go. Yeah. So for now, just let the billboard come and go. Just see mm-hmm. it coming. See it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if you come down to the feeling for a moment, what you're calling sadness, just that. Can you be with that? for a moment by itself without the words. Is that possible? Yes. So it doesn't mean there aren't words down there. It's just they're not conscious necessarily. So if you feel into that, or you're calling sadness and you say, what does this feeling mean about me? What comes up? What does a feeling of sadness mean about me? 
Yeah, so it's not intellectual. Mm-hmm. You just ask you the question. Mm-hmm. See what. Uh, I think I make a mean like I'm defective in some way. Yeah. So there it goes. It splits off into another thought. I'm defective. You just turn towards that. And again, mm-hmm. not trying to change it or get rid of it or neutralize it. Yeah. It's a slightly different feeling, <laughs> but it's there. Yeah. Let, let me know what happens with the words, too. Now, again, are the words you am defective? Trust your body on that. It's okay to say yes. If it really just seems like words, you can say no, it's not me. Those words seem like no, they're not me. Okay. So then see what happens with them. If they're not you, you're not identified with them. You're just resting there as the awareness. What happens with them? Take your time with that. I'm not trying to rush you through that. They seem to just fade away. So then that's not you. We're still looking for you, the one who is, <laughs> I forgot the thing. You said you're. Uh, uh, may not be enough. Not enough. Yeah. Okay. So just coming back down to that feeling from awareness, like you're the awareness that's experiencing this feeling. Mm-hmm. Anything happening with the feeling? Is it the same as it was? That was where I got stuck. The feeling seemed to be pretty consistent. Okay. This is where we would go into mining a little bit more. So because the feeling is not there on its own, what we've, we discovered through mining is it has some thoughts connected to it. Let's just ask again, if this feeling had a voice right now, what would it say? Let's see what comes up. Hmm. Something like, um... I'm, I'm losing something or I'm losing someone. Uh, yeah, that wasn't previously available. It's like there's a thought that comes from the unconscious. Can you just rest with that? Mm-hmm. Letting that be seen now. Well, in this case, it, it's not even true. <laughs> so, you know, that, that comes up. Yeah. Right. It's not true in your actual life that you're losing someone, but the thought came up from the feeling. That could be mm-hmm. the past. You know, it could be something from the past, but the point is just let it be there for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then see what happens with that thought, just that one. There's more constriction or tightness in my body as I so-called entertain that thought or hear that thought. That's right. So for a while, there might be more constriction, but what happens when you stay with it from awareness? See, mm-hmm. Letting it be there to see what happens. Like you're just in the middle of an identification right now. Of course, the body's going to react. But what if you stay with the thought a little longer? Yeah, it's interesting. As I do that, it starts to feel more, I start to feel more disidentified from it. Right. Like it's word, it's just sounds passing through my awareness. Right. So does that have any change on the somatic level then if you feel back down as that falls away? Is there anything shifting in that even subtly? 
Yeah, yeah. There's a lessening, a little bit of an opening or relaxation. So that's what we're doing. We're doing a lot more of this somatic work now, but let's just do one more round of this. So what else does this feeling mean? If you just ask that and see what comes up. Comes up that I shouldn't be feeling this way. There you go. So just from awareness, let it be true. Just not really true by thinking it, but don't fight with it. Just let that be there. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And again, while you're watching it, the body might get activated. But what happens when you stay with it from awareness and it fall away? There's that piece of it, of like staying with it to really see that you know, it's coming. Well, it's it's interesting because the same thing that happened with the other one. That first, as I uh think that thought my body gets a little bit more constricted and then as i focus on it some more and just like uh, see it from awareness uh it struck me as funny of course i should be feeling this way i am feeling this way you know the idea that there's a thought going through that i shouldn't be experiencing what i'm experiencing just struck me as funny yeah yeah right so just staying with that then and what happens with that thought? Just notice. There's a bit of a letting go. Mm-hmm. I feel more present. Right. right. Present shows up. Well, I could take you further into that, but that's what I would do is more. I haven't even got into our second level of inquiries, which are going even deeper into the somatic, but this is just example of the living or the unfindable inquiries what we're doing here so Uh i might might keep you in that and just say what else does it mean what else does it have to say it has a finite number of things to say and if you move through those there can be somatic shifting around that because it's really the body we know that keeps the score on these stories you know this is why the living inquiries and all the inquiries are somatic based because i say to people if you have the thought i'm the worst butcher in the world you're not going to feel it in your body unless you identify with that thought. So it's not going to matter. It's going to come and go. It's not going to matter. But if you say, I'm the worst interviewer in the world, see, that might have something in the body. So mm-hmm. we trust all the inquiries. We trust the body because we feel like that's where the identification is rooted, the mind-body connection. And the combination of words or images and sensations creates this, this sense of self that you're kind of dissecting until there's no sense of self left. Yeah, it's just a scene, right? Uh, Just pulling things up and seeing them instead of being so unconscious, like unconsciously believing there's someone here who's not enough to actually explore that, then it's not just so much about trying to get rid of it, it's a scene. And when you see it, it falls apart because it's not really you. If it were really you, you couldn't see through it, you know, it wouldn't be destroyed by the looking. Is that a little bit similar to when you talk about the Velcro effect? Um, like you say, if you're looking at a thought and the thought seems to be the object, there's always a sensation or emotion arising. And conversely, if an emotion or sensation seems to be the object, it means that there's a thought arising along with it. Yeah, that's the mind-body connection that you hear talked about. And, and it's a really entrusted completely. We call it the Velcro effect. But I've been able to trust that throughout my whole path like my body velcro yeah you mentioned that there's quote another level that 
you go through in the inquiry. Can you describe or say something about that? So basically, we developed, Dan and I, he's my co-developer, Dan McClintock. Um, it's a long story, but essentially, there were some aspects of in the unconscious that weren't being seen through normal inquiry and resting as awareness. It mainly falls into the category of like trauma, repression, emotional repression. And so I was sitting with people, sitting with people for years and realizing that you could, they could experience a certain degree of freedom, but if the body held the score on something, like if the body was holding really deep traumatic imprints or assumptions that were never examined, like really unconscious programming, then that could be the form of like, for me, it was like chronic pain. What I thought was physical pain was actually deep, repressive programming. So we had to develop the work in a way that became even more somatic because people were, again, they were experiencing freedom, but they kept getting pulled back in, in some level because the, tr the trauma wasn't being met and the emotional repression wasn't being met. And so the freedom just didn't feel deep enough. So we just naturally went into this other way of inquiring that really pulls up the unconscious, the things that you really don't know are here. And those are the things that, for example, if someone shows up as not getting angry very much, it might look like they're really clear, but it could just be they repress that emotion. And so we hold those repressions deep in the body. There's programming deep in the body that says, I can't, I can't show that. I can't feel that but you can't access it just usually by being in awareness. It's the nervous system actually on a very unconscious level, holding back something coming from trauma. So we learn how to go into those areas to clear physical pain and body contraction, with this deep unconscious programming around trauma and repression. And it was only the Killaby inquiries that brought that, the, the first the living inquiries, we weren't able to access that in the same way. If people were interested in finding out more about that, is that would they, where would they go to find out more about that? If you go to killaby.com and you go to the scroll, you scroll down from the top, you'll see Kio, K-I-O. And that's 37 videos, short videos that I did explaining the Killaby inquiries and how they're a more somatic based method. So they can watch those and learn. Mm -hmm. And then we're members area on that same site. People are doing this work and they can go and learn it that way go into the members area, it's a monthly subscription and they come in and all the tools are explained there. And there's a lot of support, like I'm meeting with people regularly. It's kind of like an ongoing retreat and there's an end. So that's, those are the two places to go, I think. How'd you come up with all this stuff? You're, uh, you know, not many teachers really come up with new methods. And, and you know, this is, uh, I think, a, a uh, advancement in, in spiritual inquiry technology and uh i'm wondering how you came up with it from my own suffering and the suffering of people that i work with so the thing that's different about me is uh is that i've been able i've sat with people one-on-one -on -one for over 12 years so whereas other teachers were doing groups i was meeting with people all over the world one-on-one -on -one, and i was seeing where they were getting stuck it was almost all somatic and so naturally there were some stuck areas and because i was using the same technologies that were out there I had some somatic stuckness. So I opened up my teaching and my method to my own and becoming transparent about what was happening for me after awakening. There was a three-year sex compulsion that came up. I shared about this. And that was because the technologies that existed weren't able to meet the shame that was deeply embedded from the past. So we developed work that would get into these areas that usually are not accessed by, mm -hmm. you know, shame, not just come up. If it comes up, it comes up a little bit. 
and it's like back down, right? It might come up a little bit, then way back down. So we just learned. We learned what didn't work, and we, we started to explore what does work, what pulls up this unconscious stuff, and then we just watched, and the freedom came. Like the embodiment level, it's just like lighter and lighter, no contractions, no pain, nothing. So you just trust it. Like you develop things, but you trust and make sure that what you're developing actually works. Yeah, great. Uh, circling back to um, uh, addiction, I, I thought your book, Natural Rest for Addiction, was one of the best books I've ever read on non-dual spirituality, even though it's focused on addiction. Because after all, we're all addicted to something. And as you really pointed out, addiction can be boiled down to addiction to thinking about the future and addiction yeah. to avoiding our own present experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, you wrote uh, in the book, temporary substances and activities are only symptoms of our real addiction. We're really addicted to thought. We're addicted to incessantly thinking about ourselves, including where we've been and where we're going. The thinking is based on a present sense of deficiency. And, mm -hmm. and it, it, that seems to be universal, not only for people who self-identify as being addicted. Yes, definitely. We actually, we, we define it more broadly than that even. So from natural rest, we develop what's called a new model of recovery to really help people understand this. But you can be addicted to spiritual practices, to belief systems, to breathing methods, to you can be addicted to inquiry, to heroin, to anything that takes you out of your body in a sense. So you don't have to feel something. So even belief systems, like that's a good way to stay out of your body is just believe stuff, you know, like conspiracy theories, whatever else. So it could be anything as we just by defining it that broadly, then we get to point away from the behaviors because it doesn't matter what you're addicted to. It could be anything and to the real issue, which is what you're believing, the mind body connection, the trauma that's not resolved, the core woundedness, the shame that's driving all of that. That's where we focus on the, what's really driving it all. Right. Including deficiency, identity that drives it. Mm -hmm. And in your experience with addicts, you find that they can actually do these and sometimes let go of things like heroin and other stuff that really has brought them pretty far down. Does it work with them? You mean, does we see yeah, that? Yeah. I used yes. to work with heroin addicts and, you know, they were extremely difficult to work with. Uh, so I'm wondering if you actually have success with this. Yeah. So our first new model client at the Killaby Center was heroin and it worked. And I'll tell you that that person, I don't want to give too much away, but let me say it generally. If a heroin addict relapses, actually a relapse is very helpful and we don't encourage it. But if they relapse, it usually brings up all their stuff, the conditioning around it. So we use that to help the person. So coming off of a relapse. We might go into inquiry about what they're believing as a result of that. What identities are coming up as a result of that? Do you believe now that you're an addict? Is that identity playing into it? And so the relapses are used as part of the recovery. And yes, we've definitely seen success. A lot of it depends on though the earnestness and the readiness to really look at that stuff, right? So it's not enough just to sit around and listen to the talk about this and then assume you're going to jump off heroin because you've heard a few nice words. You know, it's really, it takes some work to look at what's driving that. So for the people that really look at that, yeah, they, they see things falling away. But just like so many things, you know, sometimes people don't want to do the looking. 
they want the quick fix. They want someone to come in and just sort of fix it for them. And that's not going to work with this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like uh, if there isn't a real, somehow, somehow it seems based on a shift in identity. And if that shift doesn't happen, the, the healing doesn't happen. Is, no. that, is that true? It's so true. And we say identity, it's, it's multifaceted. It's not just deficiency story, like I'm not good enough driving it, but like a deep sense of shame that we're identified with. Or even like we're identified with something happened to us in the past, like a trauma. Like this is all science, you know, it's not just, it's not just the simplest version of identity. Identity runs deep in the body, deep in the body. You know, like the shame is in the stomach. It's somatic. It's like a driver. So we're working at that level too, not just that, yeah, you believe you're a failure because you did heroin. There's that, <laughs> but there's deep sense of shame or even like emotional repression, like holding anger back your whole life. That's a driver. That's in the body, you know? So we're, we're, we want to keep it off the surface level for sure and understand this, this is some deep somatic work involved to really unhook from the identity that I thought runs deep in the body is what we're finding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, heroin is one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum of addiction is like something very subtle, like addicted to thinking about the future or addicted to the cultural programming we have, like we have to do something important or whatever are are more subtle um, uh, addictions. And is it the same process or is it slightly different when dealing with more subtle issues? That's a good, it's, it's, it's a really a similar process though. It really is now, but with some of the issues you have to get into the deep somatic against shame or Mm -hmm. like rest emotions. But, and so, so some of the really hard addictions, there's, there's some of that really deep stuff going on, but, and so I don't know how to talk about it generally. I just say that it's a similar process either way because we're hooked in to believing. We're hooked into believing and programming in the mind instead of in our direct experience with what's arising. So the, the process is always the same. I mean, it's like, what are you believing? <laughs> Let's look at this, what you're believing. And then you come down into your body, you recognize presence and then you can unhook the stuff from the body. So what you're, if you're believing that, that you need the future, you've got to worry about it incessantly, then that's the programming. If the other program, if it could be something else though, it could be, I use painkillers because I feel like I'm, I can't be myself or something. That's just another kind of version of, it's the same process though. It's like identity. A lot of it is identifying the identities that are running people and then working on that level. And it's kind of different for each person. There isn't just one cookie cutter approach to really skillful inquiry. That's what we learned. It really has to be sort of flexible and creative to meet people's experience. So I can't give a single answer to this, but generally, yeah, it's identity. And all of it is really identity comes down to that. Um, Brian and I were talking before the podcast that uh, he thinks that you have some inquiry that involves eye movements. Uh, My wife is an EMDR therapist. I'm wondering if that is true and and what what, uh, you have found with that. So again, working with people like on heroin at the Kill Me Center, our treatment center, is like when they were coming off the street off of heroin, it's not like they could just go into witnessing thoughts, you know, because they never have any background with that. They just came into treatment and we needed to find a quick way to kind of show them the work. And sometimes, just for example, if with the thoughts that came up for you, you're able to witness those, just be mm-hmm. with them. You've been recognizing that capacity in your life. But someone else, 
that comes off the street, they might look at the same thoughts and just rinse away so much because they haven't accessed that capacity to be aware. So the mm-hmm. EMDR and different things like that are brought in just to kind of help them unhook from it and begin mm-hmm. to awareness and see it more. At first, they can't. They're so identified with it. So bringing in the rapid eye movement or even tapping from mm-hmm. EFT is like a little trick to help them disidentify from something and get a taste of what this is like. This awareness-based stuff is like, and then of course they'll, if they stick around, they cultivate the capacity to witness like you have. That doesn't always happen in the beginning when, you, you know, in spirituality, we think kind of everybody has this capacity, but out in the world, is this capacity is not developed in people. So we had treatment centers where we got to work with people like that. They're not in the spiritual world. So we had to bring in these little tricks and things to help basically. And the EMDR movement is we call it like a trick because it's doing something in your experience to help you unhook when actually you can unhook just from seeing like you did but mm-hmm. some of us do that they needed that extra little it's not a trick in a bad way it's just something that you're using to help we need all the help we can get <laughs> and even those of us in the spiritual world who think they know all of these techniques um for example uh for me it was actually quite a few years ago, you were giving a weekend workshop in New York and, and I went to it. And I had, or I had, you know, pretty good knowledge of, you know, self-inquiry and Ramana Maharshi and Nizagadada and all, all of those folks. And yet uh, it was a profound experience for me, really life-changing, although not because I got it at the time. I actually um, didn't get it. And I was angry about, about not getting it. My, I had, I had, I had gotten in touch with my core deficiency and I couldn't separate. I I didn't think my thoughts were me or the core deficiency. I didn't think my sensations, I thought it was my body. And I looked down on my body and say, how can you say I can't find me? I looked right down and there it is. I was so identified with the body that I couldn't see. I couldn't get what you were pointing to. And of course it led me to really, following that weekend do some pretty deep work and now it seems so obvious but Uh, what would you say to a person who 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 might you know have that that block like i can't get over the sense that i can find my body and my body is me yeah i mean that's a tricky one you have to really sit down with people because even if you say that's my body it's like what are you saying is your body like so first of all yeah what were you saying is your body like there's words and pictures and feelings and sensations even in that but it, you can't see it. So if I say, if I point at my body, that's actually a sensation. <laughs> it's all that that is, is a sensation in space. If you notice what there's now, what happens though, is like, there's thoughts that go with that. Like, oh no, that's not just a sensation. That's my body. And we don't see that that's a thought. So if you don't turn towards that, you'll believe that. And then when you're pointing at the body, you'll think that that's what you're pointing to. But when you deconstruct it and you say, no, those are words, my body, that's not my body. Those are words. And then you maybe look at some other words or images and you say, that's not it. That's not it either. And then you go pointing and you realize there's no words or images on it. And then there's just the sensation. Now this is, I'm fast forwarding this. Like it's not always this, but when there's just the sensation then and the mind is rather quiet, like, is that your body or is that a sensation happening in the emptiness? You know, you get to that level when you start to really see that there's no body there. But again, that's a fast forward, right? I'm just showing it's the same principle, though. Whatever you go look for, whether it's 
the person who's not enough, or body, they're all objects in consciousness made up of words, pictures, feelings, and sensations happening to awareness. Sure, that makes perfect sense. And, and like, sure, I have a body. Who's the I that has a body? Or, mm. or, or who, what are all these experiences of my body appearing in? Right. You, really have to, you really have to question each one deeply experientially and not just, not just, here, in, the, not just in the head. Yeah. 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 I was uh, watching one of your videos, Scott, and you mentioned uh, try and hear your thoughts like you might hear the wind passing through. And I found that really a great method. You know, every now and then somebody will just say something at the right time. You go, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> that's really helpful, um, especially, you know, if, if thoughts are, are bothering you or, or they're just repetitive, you know, as a quick way of disidentifying from the mind. And uh, it seems like in your case, uh, you um, have a rather quiet mind and most people don't. Uh, what do you think led to that? Good question. The quiet mind came in right before the non-dual realization. The mind just kept getting quieter and quieter from simple mindfulness. Just noticing the mind, like the wind, and then noticing that when a thought would fall away, there was already the quietness. I didn't have to cultivate it. It was already there. Or you could say it was awareness or presence, but it was also quietness between thoughts. So I started to notice that. And then the shift was like, all that's gone. That story is gone. And then there's just that quietness there. So that's what they're saying, quiet mind. But it's not really about a quiet mind. It's a recognition, you know, of seeing that you're not that. And then for me, the mind went quiet, which doesn't mean that I don't have thoughts, though. But even the thoughts appear in the quietness. It's hard to explain unless I'm hooked in <laughs> in some way. But yeah, uh, they just shifted. I don't know. It shifted from that scene. Yeah, you know, uh... We, we in this culture are so focused on thoughts, we forget that they all come out of a place that's quiet. And just a simple shift to, well, is there any quiet between the thoughts? Or the, do you see that the thoughts are coming out quiet can be a, a major revelation for some people. Totally. And I think that's like slowing things down. Sometimes it's just noticing how, again, finding that space between thoughts or that silence, and then a thought appears out of that hangs around for a bit and it goes right back into that but we're not usually focused on that quietness so we just just the thoughts but again there's that space in between that we become interested in that's that's i think a portal to that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a spiritual phenomenon that i've always been fascinated with is when people people describe a, a dryness or lack of interest or enthusiasm in 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 the activities of the world and it it seems to me at best is a temporary state maybe coming after an initial realization. And at worst, it's a misconception that non-duality somehow excludes taking pleasure in our, in our gifts, our talents, our individual preferences. And you wrote something about this. Let me see. It's uh, you wrote presence. Isn't about detaching from life or the world. It's not about living in a story that life is meaningless. It's about, disidentifying from the thought, emotion, and the other energies that arise and fall. Do you encounter that a lot, people who, who have this idea that, that somehow if all is one and they are simply pure awareness, that somehow 
all the the gifts and the the activities of life are therefore wrong and they avoid it and experience a kind of dryness yeah and in fact i've been talking about it yeah i call it the awkward teenage stage in the sense that you've been driven by identification for so long so as that falls away it may seem like there's you, there's you can't move because it was you're being motivated by all that identification but if you hang out in that for a while and not and do a little bit of inquiry around that there's movement flow that happens naturally but people can get stuck there and i'll say that sometimes it's more than about the awkward teenage stage kind of nihilism there's also something we're noticing which is again the repression so the the, the thing you want to be careful about with non-duality is that it doesn't become repressive in other words you're not trying to push things down that's actually science now suppressing things actually leads to more addiction anxiety ptsd so if you're in the process of allowing everything then you're not trying to push things down so then you're already in a place where you're not repressing when you wake up if you're waking up and you've got repression and suppression going on you can sit in that for a while and not be able to move because you're actually sitting in repression suppression too so we work with that also and that helps people move and so when we work with repression suppression people show up as like this is flow there's flow now we're moving through the world in flow and you can't do that when you're trying to hold down energies and thoughts all the time so there can be a kind of non-duality that's repressed and that's one of my messages these days is let's don't turn it into repression it's alive yeah that's exactly what I was talking about yeah yeah thanks what might be a symptom that somebody is doing a non-duality repression versus uh something more healthy chronic pain showing up uh-huh. uh later on chronic pain that looks like it's physical but when you go into inquiry it has to do with the holding back of anger or fear or something you actually can discover that in inquiry or body contraction so if you've got it if you're sitting in the quiet presence but your stomach is clenched that's an indication of something that might be repressed so there's it's almost like you can't see the repression all you see is presence <laughs> but you have to look for the effects of it again body keeping the score holding on that energy or an illness shows up i'm working with people with illnesses like cancer they're discovering that actually there's repression under it um and then relationship issues like it's hard to explain it because everybody experiences it differently but for example shutting down in the face of conflict is, is something that people do in spirituality so in other words if somebody comes at them they might vilify their own anger they might shut shut it down and so they're repressing that and so what it might show up is like they can't speak they can't respond and because not because they're awake because they've repressed that emotion and so they get confused around that so what we're trying to help people do now is let it all come up all of it and anything that you're holding back let that come up because if you don't you could fall into a rather repressive awakening and not experience that flow that's the short version <laughs> we've developed inquiries on that that, are, that go much deeper than that i can just say all that and it sounds good but it's really about the work of lifting these repressions so just trust your body if you're out there living in awareness but you can't move there's no flow or contraction that's very persistent chronic pain that you keep dismissing as a physical thing or an illness that's what the science says is pointing to repression that's exactly what we're seeing when we go into the somatic work is the repression conditioning mm, great answer i used uh, 25 years ago i used to have a uh, uh, severe back pain 
And I read uh, John Sarno's book. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Mind Over Back Pain. And and, yeah. and uh, it, it went away when I did what he suggested. And he said it's repression, remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And repressed anger. And yeah. I, I started to let it out and, and my back got better. There you wow. go. Do you think there's easier access to awareness and awakening than 20 years ago? And what do you think is going to be the future? Yes, because of the internet. I mean, it's like before, I don't know what it was like before, way before, but I can imagine it's like the, the Buddhists over here are talking about this and then over here in a completely different location, they're talking about this, but now it's at our fingertips and that's going to have an effect on us, you know, uh, and it already is, I think. And then, so for me, the future, <laughs> of course, I'm going to say this, the future of awakening, it will be the embodiment piece brought in much more so that it's, it's like there's a beingness and a becoming. It's not just being. There's something that's unraveling over time and a deeper embodiment of this that's unmistakable. And so that's where I feel like the future goes, because if we don't go there, we're going to keep running into the health issues, basically, even if we're awake. We're going to run into the repressions and the trauma that's not being dealt with. And the science is telling us, like, if you don't deal with that, and it's basically, I'm sure they would say, it doesn't matter if you're awake or not. If you don't deal with that, it's going to have ramifications. So we have to deal with it because this we're talking about human experience. And there's no way to divorce that part of our experience from this, what we're holding in the body, what we've repressed or suppressed or the trauma. So I feel like that's where it's going to go, but I don't know. It feels like that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On, uh, about 30 years ago, Scott, I interviewed 40 spiritual leaders uh, ranging from Mother Teresa to the, the Dalai Lama. And, and um, I asked them, you know, about, what methods they suggested and hardly any of them at that time mentioned anything to do with the body. Right. And now with our, our current uh, interviews on awareness explorers, almost everybody is focused on the body. So it's really quite a shift in 30 years. Totally. And a part of that came from, from being trauma informed because we didn't understand trauma until the last 15, 20 years. So all the teachers that came through before that, they didn't have the benefit of that. And so once we become aware of it, if you've actually done any deep work, you know that the science is on point, that that's an issue that we have to deal with. So I think that's one of the reasons why. And the other reason is because I think through the years, even following those teachers, people, well, I know, were, were showing up to those teachers. They were being pointed to the absolute, but their body, again, was keeping the score on something. So they couldn't really stabilize in that. So mm -hmm. if enough people can't stabilize in it, something has to change in the teaching to meet the people. And so I think that shift is happening. It's like, the teachings, we're seeing the limitations of some of the pointing. And then so new, new things are being developed to meet this thing. That's not just science is recording. That's actually in people's experience. That some, they're not stabilizing the recognition or even having the recognition because of something in the body that's not being accessed and brought into awareness. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned a lot about trauma. And obviously the Kilby inquiries can help with that. Do you sometimes suggest that people do any other types of therapies to deal with various types of traumas? Yeah, I mean, we have hired EMDR and EFT therapists at our treatment center, somatic experiencing therapists. There's a set of modalities out there that are somatic-based that are good on trauma. Those are the kind of the ones that I can think of. But there's other ones out there. I don't want to deprive people of that. Like, I don't know, there's a block therapy. We're becoming more somatic informed so therapy is actually still some of it's very cognitive you know so i don't usually refer people there unless they really need that 
if they came to non-duality, I know that they're interested in something deeper than just changing their thoughts. So I might refer them to a therapist who does that more, you know, that really does know how to pull trauma up and help resolve it instead of just thinking differently about it. What happened to you? <laughs> right. That only goes so far. With yeah. so much focus on trauma, addiction, and other things, have you, is there, do fewer people come to you who simply want to say, awaken to their true nature or self-realization or spiritual enlightenment, so-called? The people that come to me are usually the ones who are interested in the awakening, but the addiction of the trauma somehow got in the way of that. Ah. More like that. But every now and then we'll get someone who's not interested in awakening and they just hear, oh, you've got a good trauma approach. So, But, you know, I always say to people, it's like, be rooted in awareness if you're going to go looking at the demons of the past. Be rooted in your real nature before. So they end up usually becoming interested in that once they hear, you know, and see what kind of beast we're pulling up here with the trauma. You get rooted in that, which is not you or which is not the stuff that's coming and going that helps with the trauma work. So I think people are catching on to that and they're living their lives and they're experiencing that even though they want to wake up, instead of what they do is drink beer every day. Right. Right. So they just naturally become interested in someone who's talking about that, including that in the message, instead of just saying, oh, that's just an arising, that addiction. You know, you're not that. <laughs> you know, that right. Well, there's there's a whole school of also, uh, you know, there's nothing to do and no one to do it. And uh, and somehow, although that may be true, ultimately, in the absolute sense, I'm not so sure it's totally helpful. What I say to someone like that is, well, there's apparently someone who needs to drink beer every day. And, <laughs> yeah, but how does that really help? And the thing is, is what if you really question people who say that, like on the surface, they'll say things like that. But then if you start asking, well, just how are you doing? Just how are you doing? Not what you think you know or you've seen, but how are you doing day to day? Then the truth comes out, like how they really feel about themselves their identification start coming out. Like one guy said, I hate myself and I drink myself to death every night, but there's no self. There is no self. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. Take a little wow. closer look at that. You know, I am a psychotherapist and I help people with depression a lot. And some, you know, that's gone up what 500% in the last 20 years or something like that. Do you find that the, your inquiries are useful for people who have been depressed for a long time? Yeah, and on that issue, a lot of the depression is that just people haven't learned how to come down and feel the various emotions and allow them. And so then by not allowing them, somehow the depression will sink in. But as long as it's not a really, really sort of a clinical depression that's somehow out of the reach of this, a lot of it is coming down and just letting them feel and feel and express anger, like feel fear, let that just come through as an energy. And then once you start meeting those feelings, it's like the depression starts to lift from mm -hmm. that. Now, there's different cases, you know, there's some cases where people need more work than that. But a lot of it is coming down just to feel and allow, feel and allow, stop thinking so much and just feel and allow. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, you have any last questions? Um, actually, the only last thing I want to say is remember when I talked a little while ago about that time many years ago at your when I was angry that I wasn't getting it at your, at your uh, workshop, 
there was a, a, a fellow participant in the workshop who during the lunch break was extremely generous and tried to help me. And I was not very nice to him um, because I was, I, my, my core deficiency was all a rage. Um, so if that guy by some strange chance happens to be listening, Go to awareness, go to awarenessexplorers.com and reach out. Maybe we can have lunch sometime and I can apologize. You're making amends, as they say in the 12 step. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. I, I have one last question before I ask you for anything that we may have missed, Scott. But um, the, the idea of core deficiency, uh, how do you use that, that term or that distinction in helping people? I think the way I say it is like the the deficiency story is like the linchpin or the core aspect of the ego. So you, there's lots of branches to that ego activity. Like I'm an engineer, I'm this, I'm that, or I think I'm this, I'm that. But at the very core is like, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. And that's a real felt thing. That's a somatic thing, a woundedness in the body. So that's why we focus there. Because if you don't identify that, that'll run your life in, in, very, in a lot of different ways. So it's important to identify that because it's so somatically rooted. Mm -hmm. So we talk about it that way as core, meaning it's so core to your identity and it's rooted in the body. Aren't there like just three or four of those for almost everybody? Like I'm thinking I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. There's probably a couple others, but it, it really comes down to that, isn't it? Yeah, uh, there's some variation on that, but universally not good enough, unlovable, unsafe those are the big ones but it, there's a full range of them and i've worked with people who think they're disgusting they're a black sheep they're a victim they're inadequate i mean it's just it's the flavoring of language it's somehow how words land in the body for different people but yeah there's some definitely universal things that we see mm -hmm. i want to give you some time anything that we may have missed that you think is important for listeners trying to awaken to know about uh, yeah, if you want to go into the, this work more experientially, um, and not just from this interview, go to killaby.com and go and scroll down from the top. The Killaby members area is where this work is coming alive. It's what we, we created this for people who can't afford to keep going to retreats or paying for sessions. They just pay a monthly subscription amount, and then they're getting a whole bunch of meetings with me and my facilitators. So it's kind of like I say, it's like a never-ending retreat. You can come and go when you like. And that's not, that's just something new that we're offering. And I want people to know about it since mm. helping so many. Yeah. And um, for people who are most interested in awakening, if there was one of your seven books that you could recommend, what would you currently recommend? I know this is like choosing which child you'd love the most, but um, I'll say it anyways. I would say Living Realization because it cuts out a lot of the flowery language and it just gets down to the brass tacks, which is there's awareness here and there's words, pictures, feelings, and sensations, keeping it that simple. And then pointing people through how, what does it mean to allow feeling as it is? What does it mean to see thought that just comes and goes like words and pictures? It breaks it down. Like, so it's more pragmatic than some of the other books that mm -hmm. have a bit more flower to them. <laughs> Well, I love the flower. I love the, the practicality. Uh, you bring them together really, really well. Uh, we're very grateful for, for all the, the useful things that you present. And, and a lot of them are free. So I encourage people to go to killaby.com and check it out. Any last words, Brian? I'm very grateful. I, I think that this was fascinating, fun. 
a helpful and uh, cutting edge. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Much fun. Thank you, our listeners. Feel free to support us at patreon.com at uh, patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers, where you get a bunch of extra stuff for as little as a dollar a month. And till next time, friends, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.